the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by The Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. In all his searching, Solomon drew a blank. He put all of his eggs in the baskets of worldly wisdom, earthly pleasure, human achievement, but each egg turned out to be a goose egg. Jesus says, enlightenment, enjoyment, employment, they're all found in Christ in abundant, lasting measure in a way that this world cannot match. Throughout the book of Proverbs, we're encouraged to work diligently, plan ahead, and build something of our lives. There's a lot of good that comes out of working with our own two hands. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, God points out the limitations of our human accomplishments. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy picks up where he left off yesterday in a study called The Quest for the Best. All the achievements in this life mean nothing if we're not prepared for eternity. Here's Philip DeCourcy now. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, as Solomon is on a quest for the best. He wants to know what makes life worth living. Solomon had a flat-out focus on the terrestrial at this point in his life. He rules out the celestial. He he has um, walked away from his uh, obligations and uh, his responsibilities to God. Solomon is seeking to overload his senses with pleasure. And so everything in this passage is physical. The gardens, the wine, the music, the touch of a woman. It's all terrestrial. It is not celestial. And Solomon comes up short. Because pleasure only appeals to one half of man. Men will always hunger for a greater reality if they simply feed their fleshly appetite. Because pleasures that ignore the soul in favor of the body will always result in a nagging sense of emptiness, an annoying sense of disappointment. Why? Because man is a unified combination of material and spiritual. We are body, soul, and spirit. I think for the most part, biblically speaking, soul and spirit are interchangeable. Or often soul just speaks of the whole of life, material and spiritual. We'll not get into that right now. But remember how God made man from the dust. And then he breathed into him and he became a living soul. Genesis 2 verse 7. What we have in that statement is, is God's twofold action in creating man that corresponds to man's twofold nature, material and spiritual, body and soul. So man is a unified combination of body and soul. 
And you cannot ignore one half of yourself and be a whole person. But pleasure does that. Pleasure appeals to the senses. Pleasure appeals to the body. But it ignores the inner man. It ignores the eternal soul that will live beyond this physical life. We are not just stomachs. We are souls. And therefore, materialism and hedonism centered on the physical indulgence will always come up short. That's why Jesus warns us, doesn't he? In that classic passage in Mark chapter 8, what shall a man, if he profits the world, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Gaining the whole world is not the same as saving your soul. And so at our core of our being, we're soulish people. We're spiritual people because we were made in the image of a God who is spirit, not body. And therefore, you cannot be whole and ignore half of you, that core element of your being. To starve the soul and feed the body is to live in, a one, in one story of a two-story house. You'd think that rather strange, wouldn't you? Why would somebody live in one story when they've got two stories? There's so much more they can enjoy. There's so much more to life than they seem to see. But you see, that's exactly the case with the man who lives for this world and ignores the next world, who lives for the physical and not the spiritual. They're living in a a two-story home on a one-story level. And that's why pleasure will always come up short. As we've said before, it bears repeating again, this world apart from God is not enough, and we know it deep inside us. So with his mind, he sought enlightenment. With his heart, he sought enjoyment. Quickly and finally, with his hand, he sought employment. Solomon has tried the silver bullet of intellectualism, but it was a dud. Solomon has tried the silver bullet of hedonism, pleasure-seeking, but it was a dud. Now he seeks the silver bullet of materialism. When at first you don't succeed, try, try again. This time Solomon buries himself in his work. He tries to build something of his life through the things that he builds. Solomon tries to overcome his melancholy and his misery by becoming an overachiever. Have you ever put your foot onto that path? He brings the briefcase home. He works into the wee hours of the morning. He's got this idea, you know what? The next accomplishment, the next achievement will move the meter of satisfaction. Perhaps he thought to himself, you know what? If I make something of myself through what I make, then I'll be able to remake myself. He's thinking, you know what? If I expand my estate, if I expand my empire, maybe that'll help me put all the pieces of my life together. The immediate text and the surrounding texts of First and Second Kings tell us that Solomon certainly overachieved He certainly expanded his kingdom. We read um, in this passage of the the houses he built, verse 4, the vineyards he planted, verse 4, the the gardens and orchards and water pools that that he constructed, verses 5 and 6. Solomon built cities, gardens, houses, vineyards, orchards, forests, water systems, He supervised the construction of the temple, which was one of the greatest buildings of the ancient world. He became a renowned industrialist. He became a renowned agriculturalist. But here's the point. 
all this good business was still bad business. It wasn't the ticket either. Because in verse um, 11 of chapter 2, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, all my accomplishments. thought about all those ribbon-cutting ceremonies. I thought about all those industrial acquisitions that I made the international expansion. I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed was all vanity, a grasping of the wind. Every ceremony that he celebrated, every grand opening that he was part of, left him with a sinking feeling. Life remained the shadow of what Solomon thought it could be. Nothing seemed to mean anything. Or as a businessman, Solomon had got some good returns on his investment. But life never seemed to pay him back for all of his investing in it. Life shortchanged him every time. This is a sermon in itself, but we're going to kind of just get our hands around it quickly. And it raises the question, how can pleasure be pain? Well, how can good business be bad business? In fact, if you go back to chapter 1 and verse 13, Solomon talks about the burdensome business or the burdensome task of life. Solomon accomplishes a lot in his life. But it doesn't seem to add up to anything. His work doesn't seem to profit under the sun. Why? Why was this good business bad business? Number one, because of God's curse on creation. The fall of man and the subsequent judgment of God, you can read about it in Genesis 3, verses 17 to 19, brought about a futility to man's efforts. Remember how God cursed the ground man would work from? He would have to sweat to make a living. Work was not the curse, okay? But God cursed work. And ever since, man has been plagued with a sense of futility when it comes to his labor. In fact, the, the ultimate futility and the ultimate irony is the very ground that we till is the very ground that will swallow us up someday. Because from dust we came and to dust we shall return. Think about the farmer hoeing his field, turning the soil, and his sweat drips onto the soil. But the futility of it is that's hard work, pulling out the stones and the tree roots and, and, and all that, that makes it impossible to have a good harvest, to do all of that. And, and you don't know if the storm's going to ruin your harvest. You don't know if the sun's going to shine or the rain's going to fall when you need it to shine and when you need it to fall. And then ultimately that very ground that dirties your hands and you've, you've wet it with your own sweat is the very ground that someday you'll be dropped into, tired, spent, and all used up. Wow. Takes the shine off human accomplishment, doesn't it? What's the profit? What's the purpose? Because of God's curse on creation, good business is bad business. And because of the futility of death, good business is bad business. Look at chapter 2 of this book, Ecclesiastes, in verse 18. Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise one or a fool. There's another frustrating thing about life. And all your work, you know, you build up your business, you leave it to your son, and he's a dunderhead. 
and in 10 months he ruins what it took you 10 years to build? That's pretty frustrating, isn't it? That's to add insult to injury. Not only is it hard work and frustrating work, you don't know who's going to benefit from your work. Is it going to be a wise one or a fool? And that just adds to the irony of life. And thirdly, because that which man builds out of pride and independence from God, God is sure to oppose. It must be remembered that except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. That which man builds apart from God or against God, God is sure to tear down brick by brick, if not now, then, if not in the present, in the future. And if you don't believe me, read Genesis 11, 1 9, and the story of the Tower of Babel. Read the story of Nebuchadnezzar and how he's lifted up in his pride and he looks around Babylon says, Babylon the great, I build it. And the words are hardly dripping off his lips when God punishes him. Daniel 4 verses 28 to 28 following. God will see to it that we have no enjoyment from our employment unless it's dedicated to him. And Solomon certainly was not dedicating his work to God. If you look at that passage, verses 4 through 9, it's peppered with first-person pronouns. This is an amazingly egocentric passage. Solomon is not building God's kingdom. He's building his own. In fact, it's interesting. As Solomon lists all the things that he built, what's absent? A reference to the temple. I mean, that was his greatest accomplishment. One of the greatest buildings of the ancient world, and he doesn't mention it. Why? Because remember, at this point, Solomon has walked away from his relationship with God. He's doing his own thing. He's building his own kingdom. I planted, I built, I did, I, I, I. One writer says that Solomon in all his endeavors is trying to build a sort of secular version of the Garden of Eden. All the references to the trees and the gardens. In fact, in chapter 2 and verse 5, when we read of the garden there, it's a word that can mean park. In fact, it's a loan word. It's a word that's come from Persian through Hebrew into Greek. And it's the word that gives us the, our New Testament word paradise. Solomon tried to build himself a little piece of heaven on earth, which is not necessarily wrong. But he did it apart from God. And God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And when you and I fail to dedicate our work to God, we will find ourselves working against the headwind of God's displeasure. And there's no happiness in that. In all his searching, Solomon drew a blank. With his mind, he sought enlightenment. With his heart, he sought enjoyment. With his hands, he sought employment. He put all of his eggs in the baskets of worldly wisdom, earthly pleasure, human achievement, but each egg turned out to be a goose egg. There was no profit under the sun, he says in verse 11. To change the metaphor, he chased these pretty bubbles and they all burst on him. Each of Solomon's experiments blew up in his face. And he had to come face to face with that reality. Look at verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that in my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed all was vanity and a grasping of the wind. Look at the opening of that verse. Then I looked. 
Michael Eaton, in his excellent commentary on Ecclesiastes, said, this is the morning after the night before. This is a Hebrew word that means to face the facts, to look on someone straight in the eye. That's how it's used in Job 6, 28. Solomon is coming face to face with the facts. Like uh, Addison, his experiments have all blown up in his face. And he has learned that, you know what? I'm looking for an answer to the question, what makes life worthwhile? But so far, all I've discovered is what doesn't work. And I'm face to face with those facts. It's pretty pressing stuff, isn't it? But remember what we said in our opening study, Solomon is being cruel to be kind. He's showing us what doesn't work so that he might encourage us to look for an answer elsewhere because there is an answer. Remember what we said, the key to this book and the answer to his question hangs on the back door of this book. This is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Fear God. This is where you'll find wholeness. This is where life finds its center and its circumference and its joy and its happiness. Solomon is feeding us salt to bring us to God, the fountain of living water. This is all intended to drive us to God. As I said, it's pretty depressing stuff. You know what? He comes out of the university. His head is hurting. He's got a hangover from his party. All his achievements seem like dust in his hands. What works then? What's the solution? What's salvation for the soul of man under the sun? Well, Ecclesiastes teaches us not to love the world or the things of this world, doesn't it? Isn't that what Solomon's teaching us? Isn't that what John warns us about? Love not the world or the things of the world, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Because if you love the world, you can't be loving the Father. But he that does the will of God abides forever while the world and all its desires is passing away. Solomon has spent time in the world and the things of the world, and it hasn't brought satisfaction and it hasn't brought salvation because we're not meant to love the things of the world. We're meant to love the Father who created all things. The God who loved us and sent his Son under the sun to be our Savior. And Jesus stood one day under the sun and said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Solomon said, Life is a burdensome task. And Jesus says, Hey, come to me. Learn from me. Find rest in me. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. All the things we're talking about, enlightenment, enjoyment, employment, they're all found in Christ in abundant, lasting measure in a way that this world cannot match. We've gone to Disneyland on a number of occasions, quite often when the girls were small, and we did the obligatory visit to It's a Small World. In fact, we did it quite often, more than I wanted to. You know, first time round, it's okay. It's a small world after all. Second time round, it starts to jangle on your nerves a little bit. Third time round, you want to jump out of the boat and swim back to the entry point. And then later in the week, you're waking up in a cold sweat, thinking there's children at the end of your bed singing, it's a small world. It's, it's really upsetting after a while, isn't it? Life can be that way sometimes, can't it? 
after you've tried this, after you've tried that, after you've been there, after you've been with him or her, after you've got what you want, you don't want what you got. Because what you learn is it's a small world after all. It's not enough. It's just not enough. The world under the sun is not enough. That's what Solomon is trying to teach us. He's feeding us salt. He's preparing us for the end of the book. He's preparing us for the beginning of the New Testament when the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The God above the sun who made the sun and everything and anyone under the sun has come into our world to bring us back to himself. I am come that you might have life and that more abundantly. Let's pray. Lord, help us to carry this message home and to the everyday world that we live in that's trying what Solomon tried. And we've seen this movie before. And we know how it ends. There's no alternative end. People will learn sooner than later that this is a small world after all. It's not enough. Its knowledge cannot satisfy the mind. Its pleasures cannot satisfy the heart. Its accomplishments cannot bring lasting significance. The problem is we have severed ourselves from that other world. We, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the God, we need to come back to you. You are enough. You are all that we need. You made us for yourself. And we can alone find salvation and satisfaction in you through your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for him who came under the sun and died for us on the cross when the sun was blotted out, but who rose that resurrection morning as the sun rose again, bringing a new horizon of hope. Oh God, help us indeed to come to him with our heavy burdens and find rest and find his burden light. For we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're fixing our hope on the life to come. That's our subject today on Know the Truth. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy in a message titled Chasing Pretty Bubbles from the Quest for the Best series in Ecclesiastes. All the messages in this study are archived on our website at ktt.org. And you can also order messages on CD when you call 888-644-8811. Now, if you're new to Know the Truth, Philip would like to welcome you with a copy of today's message on CD. Chasing Pretty Bubbles is a great message to listen to again and share with a friend who needs to know Jesus as the answer to all of life's questions. Ask for the free CD message when you call 888-644-8811 or request the CD online at ktt.org. At Know the Truth, we're always looking to provide you with resources to strengthen your daily walk of faith. That's why we carefully plan our broadcast schedule while selecting monthly resources to help you follow up with your own study in God's Word. This month, Philip has specially selected a book by Philip Ryken titled, Why Everything Matters. 
this respected author and president of Wheaton College, writes, Think of Ecclesiastes as the Bible's cattle prod. The preacher's words push us to expect lasting satisfaction, not in money and pleasure, but in the goodness of God. Now that's a perspective that makes sense in this life. Don't miss getting your copy of Why Everything Matters when you give a generous gift of $20 or more. Donate online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. And you can also send your gift by mail when you write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. Thanks for your generosity that fuels the nonprofit ministry of Know the Truth. I'm Wayne Shepherd signing off for today. But be sure to come back tomorrow when we'll continue our study in Ecclesiastes. There's more wisdom to gain Wednesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Curious about investing on your own? Ready to take a small step to make that happen? I want to invite you to join Tradeway for a powerful two-day event called Step One Start Your Journey, where you'll gain a strong foundation for how to trade in the stock market. You'll leave the event equipped with the knowledge, support, and confidence it takes to start trading on your own. And you don't need any previous experience to take this class. Come learn incredible techniques for how to protect your retirement and savings and see the potential for earning higher returns than your financial advisor. What if this two-day class changed everything for your family? Come give it a try. It's a great step towards reaching your biggest goals. Join us at the National Conference Center, Leesburg, April 12th and 13th. Only $99.95 for your entire household, plus a free ticket for a friend and a full money-back guarantee. To register, call 877-907-TRADE. That's 877-907-TRADE. Or go to Tradeway.com. That's Tradeway.com. In his play as Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.